You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and as usual, of course, I'm joined by Neil Glover and this week we are delighted that Jen Robertson is back. Jen! Jen's it's back. great to be back. Very Hello, good. welcome back. We did have a lovely time with Adrian, it's worth saying, but we did miss you. I enjoyed listening to Adrian in my place. It was a bit challenging. It took a while for me to listen, but once I listened, I was glad. It's very good. He did. He, he for his first. That was his first ever podcast, I think. Fiona, wasn't oh, yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he had a lovely time. Did he I enjoy mean, he it? Speak for himself, obviously. Oh, I think so. Um, and He's always enthusiastic, isn't he? You're going to get him back sometime, yeah. I think that'd be good. Although the thought of trying to control all three of you. <laughs> Fiona, Fiona confessed all fear that at her prayer group this morning, she was praying with dread for chairing a discussion between me and Adrian. <laughs> I thought you did very well, Fiona. I don't Thanks, mean that patronisingly. I thought maybe I just don't. Maybe when I usually listen to the podcast, I'm listening for my mistakes or just listening for me. Uh, but I, I was I was listening more holistically, and I realised how brilliantly you hold the whole thing yeah, together, and how do. often your comments just connect and bring insight and move the discussion on. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you very much. I will take that with. Um... Gratitude. Yeah, do very good. What's so, the other quick question for the two of you. <laughs> you can give a compliment back. You can say no, no, no. That's not true. Just know, accept see, it. Just accept it. Exactly. Now, I've got a quick question for you both before we start. Are you dreamers? Um, do you mean like at night? Well, just any kind. Both. I, I sometimes I actually had a dream last night that I was being chased by a shadow. Oh. <gasps> yeah. I just did an all-age talk at my home church about shadows on Hebrews 10. Ah. Did, you get, did you get caught? No, I was, I was trying to ward it away. I wasn't frightened about it, but I was trying to ward it away. And then Anna must have heard me and kind of calmed me down. Goodness me. And then I woke up and went, oh, I'm doing a podcast on Joseph today about dreams. <laughs> I had somebody, I did, I've been watching a lot of the football mm-hmm. and i had somebody in my dream shooting footballs at me like i was in the goal mouth and they were oh just my goodness uh, firing shots at me it was quite painful i was glad Gosh. i woke up yeah do you ever get the recurring one where you're running down corridors i have that do you very slowly <gasps> i often I've been tr- i try and get over a fence and i don't make it and mm. i don't and i wake up with a jolt because i mm. get caught by whatever's chasing me well, my my recurring dream which i'm not terribly chopped to admit to it, is often trying to shoot someone with a gun and the gun doesn't work oh gosh <laughs> well I think we should draw this all to a close at this point oh no but I uh, have a recurring another oh, recurring dream <laughs> what's that I'm back I'm back sitting my hires uh-huh. and, and I know I'm sitting a particular subject like modern studies or maths but the invigilator gives me the wrong paper. Oh, no. Yeah. like for mm. geography or something I've never studied in my life mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm forced to answer these questions and nothing I do or say gets me out of that situation do you know do you know the reason that you need eight hours of sleep and not six that is because half of you the half of your sleep which is the REM sleep where you have the dreams yeah. which is really essential for your brain health that normally happens in the second half of the night it happens it happens all through the night but it tends to become more dominant towards the end of your sleep so if you've very crudely speaking, if you've only had six hours sleep when you meant to have eight, you, you've probably had roughly four hours of your non-REM sleep, but you've only had two out of your four hours of your REM sleep. So that's why the eight hours is really important. And that's why everybody hurts, Neil. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that joke was the end of the world as we know it. That's very good. Right, well, before we lose our religion, let's move on. So today is... <laughs> The third episode in our series, which we're calling Joseph and the Triumph of Grace, that coincides with the the book that's been produced by SBS. Uh, We're tracing the story of Joseph and the people of Israel in Genesis 39 and 40 today. So we're talking about the pit to the prison uh, this week. Um, Don't forget, if you are reading along with us, then you can order copies of that resource from SBS. Now, Neil and I still haven't seen a copy, Jen. (laughs) We're feeling a bit left out. It's not Jen's fault. Adrian has offered. That's what happens when I'm off sick. That's <laughs> so we still don't have a copy. So, but but you were obviously very involved in the the creation of it. Um, how did it feel to get it into your hands? I was very nervous before I knew it was arriving because 
I mean, we'd worked on this for about 10 months with Jason, the illustrator, and it's quite a complex design because of the way the book is. And I was, and so much proofreading and double checking. I mean, just a triple million checking. So that fear that it'll arrive and it, I just won't be right or there'll be a mistake. So when I opened up the box, not only was it correct, like it was what we wanted it to be, it was even better than that. You know, That's the good. size is just right. The feel is just right. It feels like a quality book. The paper is just right. Fiona McDonald, my boss, um, is, is vi- you know, she's got really into these details of what paper you use and what colour the cover is and how covers really matter. And you can just see when, when I got it, I just saw all that work had produced just the right thing. And Jason, the illustrator, had, he's been involved in a few other books and he said to us that of all the books he's produced, this is the one that was just what he was expecting. Mm. So that that was really good to hear. That's very good. That's very good. Can I say now, something about Jane's life? <laughs> Please do. Jane, because it, it ties in with Joseph. That there's this sense of destiny always with Joseph that he's going to become this leader, but particularly we see the beginnings of it in this story here as he starts to lead people. Um, one of the things that's really interesting for me is that you have always been a, an absolute bibliophile. But but what's interesting for me, knowing what you've done with your life in the last 15 or so years, is you have been responsible for an, a number of books which have had a huge impact. And they're not, but they're not monographs. They're all really collaborative creations. Yeah. They're things like Spill the Beans. Uh, no, no, not Spill the Beans. Are you involved in Spill the Beans? I don't think you are. I contribute to Spill the Beans. I wouldn't say I was a... But the, but the massive I, thing was, that, I didn't I didn't make it happen. I just write some stuff for you, it. You're in on that. <laughs> but also the one that you've had massive influence with is Bubblegum and Fuff, Easter Code, and Dear Theo. Yeah. And assemblies online, if I may say. <laughs> Jen used to write for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I used to edit Jen. So it's a particular form of writing. It's very collaborative and it draws people around you. Team, teams are one of the hardest things you ever work in, isn't it? They bring mm. so many problems, mm. but they're also the best place to work yeah. because mm-hmm. you bring so many different gifts and insights. And we couldn't have produced Joseph and the Triumph of Grace, any one person. Um, and I think I'm grateful for teams, although in the situation, sometimes in a team, you, you, I mean, I, I know the feeling of just, oh, I'll just do this myself. It'd be so much easier. Uh-huh. But that isn't true. That's not the reality. Mm. That's just yeah. an experience. Yeah. Jen, tell me a wee bit, before we get into the into the meat of things, tell me a wee bit about the, the research you've done on children with children and young people that's informed yeah. what the book is like. In 2019, over the summer, we worked with a researcher to spend time with small groups of children and young people aged between 8 and 14 around Scotland, mainly children who, had, who, were, who were part of churches or part of Christian groups. And we just had a conversation with them about the Bible and what helped them engage with it and what didn't help them engage in it, what, what was a barrier to them engaging. Now, the, you can find that on our website and the five themes that came out of it. But relevant to the the Joseph book were two, a couple of things that they said. One thing was they, they really need the illustrations were incredibly helpful to understanding the biblical story. Um, the other thing that came out, it's not one of the key them, themes, but it came up in conversation a lot, was the need to understand the story, each story you read in context, or understand that timeline of the Bible and how things fit together. Probably third was the need for how important intergenerational conversations were for these young people to understand the Bible. And they needed conversations with people of different ages to to get the Bible, like like what we're doing just now, although we're kind of sort of the same age, but that's that's irrelevant. Conversation is what matters. So as we came to produce Joseph, those children's conversations are hugely influ- influential in what Joseph looks like. And so the illustrations by Jason are not just nice pictures. They're mm-hmm. incredibly detailed that inspire conversations. So I've, I've sat with 12-year-old boys who are looking at these pictures and they see things that I would never see. And they mm-hmm. say, oh, what's going on here? And what's this mm-hmm. happening here? And why is this coming in here? What does this image mean? So the illustrations themselves encourage wondering and questioning and thinking. So the book isn't just an idea about from middle-aged people like me but it comes from conversations with children and young people, which that's the most important thing that I'm glad about. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? I, I mean, I wonder how much of that is, is because of the growth of animation and comic strip and visual learning. I think it is partly as well. But interestingly, I went I went to an event at the Edinburgh Book Festival. I think that was 2019 as well, all, all pre-Joseph. And um, there was three illustrators there from I think all from Eastern European countries maybe one from 
Japan as well. And I think historically in those countries, illustration is much more a form of translation for everybody. Yeah, mm. you, you don't just have illustrated books for children. As that's how we perceive illustration often. There's a nice wee picture because it'll help you read because reading is really an important thing, a certain kind of reading. Mm -hmm. Their view of illustration was it's part of translation, it's part of understanding, it's part of experiencing the story. And I find that incredibly helpful as well. And I think the illustrations do that as well. They're not... They're not just pictures for children. Mm -hmm. They're illustrations for everybody to help them understand. And obviously, as a Bible society, translation is a huge thing. We mm. want the Bible to be in people's heart language. Maybe we need to see illustration as a heart language, mm. Mm. a different way of reading. Yeah, yep. very interesting. Um, great. Well, we could no doubt talk more about that, but we can do that another time. Because in the meantime, it is time for... Glover's Off. Thank you, Fiona. This week, Glover's Off is about something actually that both you and Jen know far about more about than I do, which is holiday clubs. And I'm fascinated. I'm in a holiday club this week. I'm fascinated by this mix of joy, normally low-tech joy. So there's there's definitely an element of why don't you going on there, and <laughs> and of the Bible. And it, it seems that that has become a, a highly fused part of Christian identity to say these stories of the Bible lead themselves to a temporary community, which is about exploring joy in all sorts of creative and interesting ways. And holiday clubs embody that. I, I'm fascinated by the history of holiday clubs. Who, who was the first point person that moved from a messy game into a telling of the, the parable of the stilling of the storm. Who, who was the first person in which groups with different silly sounding names competed for points and then they all did a memory verse? When, when did that get fused together? What did it, was it the Salvation Army did it? Was it somebody went to scouts and said, oh, we need to build a bit of Bible into this? Was it a boys brigade leader who got carried away one day and stopped doing drill and start, started doing, I don't know, dramas? Um, where did it all come from? Did, I don't know. Do you, do you have any idea? Well, I, I was well, yeah. You go. I was going to say Josiah Spears. So I was think. I? <laughs> Who's he? Josiah Spears is the person who really started Scripture Union uh -huh. in England. Now he so, did sorry, was it not in Wales. Yeah, England and Wales. Wales. No, but it was Clandidno or something. Was yeah, it but there's a story bit before that, Fiona. Oh, I'm sorry, Jen. Carry on. Yes, because he he was in London. He was part of a church, and he saw children being helped to engage with the Bible, but it wasn't. It was quite dull. Mm -hmm. And he started a wee group to talk about the Bible. And, I, and I'm sure I read how he used just the kind of things you're talking about, things that they were used to in playing mm -hmm. uh, to do that. And then he went to Wales and had the the beach mission, as it would have been called. And yeah. that's when he wrote, um, was it Jesus Loves Me on the sand? On the sand, I think that's right. With yeah. shells. You know, I, I, remember, mm -hmm. I remember I did a talk once about it and how... The very simple nature of that, but engaging the children where they were on the beach with the news that Jesus loved them. That's not very well told, but I would have a look at Josiah Spears. I'm sure there's other people, though. It's never one person, is it? But he is quite significant from the holiday club it's, it's perspective. It's a part of a movement. I did wonder as well about Church of Scotland's mm -hmm. summer missions. I mean, other countries do have summer missions, but CSSM, which always was abbreviated to Come Single Soon Married. But that there, there are pictures of people... And very ornate-looking pulpits on beaches uh, made with sand. You know, the, well, the Ely Mission, which I've had some connections with, that celebrated its 100th anniversary not so long ago. So I wondered, I don't know, does that predate Josiah Spears? It would be 19... He was a 1867. Oh, well, that um, definitely comes after that then. Yeah. Um, God, is, God is love. Uh, that, that 1867 was when he, ha he met with the children in London, pioneering a new approach to sharing Jesus. Wow. And then that became the Children's Special Service Mission, which became Scripture Union. And at the year after the, the in London, so that's 1868, um, he was on the beach in Llandudno and wrote God is Love in the Sand, uh, which attracted the attention of local young people. There you go. Oh. It must coincide with the Sunday School movement, though, as well. And that might have been even mm -hmm. before that, wouldn't it, mm -hmm. a Sunday School? Yeah. There's certainly something that, that um, links. So I, I wrote down the elements of Sunday of holiday clubs that I think are are there. You've got to have messy games, point competitions with silly numbers of points. You've got to have teams with silly names. You've got to tell the Bible stories in engaging ways. There's got to be dramas 
uh, and you must have a registration desk. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else I've missed out is essential juice? key components. Do you not need to have juice at some point? You have to have juice. You normally have to have an argument beforehand about whether we're going to give them healthy juice or not. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah, and I think very crudely, I think once I used to think, oh, is this is this a way of having a bit of fun, draw your kids in and then we'll hit them with the Bible afterwards as a kind of bait and hook sort of thing. But it's it's no, it's it's not like that. It is a deep it is a very celebratory affirmation of being together, of fun, of the Bible stories and of each other and of God's presence in all of those things. And I love it. There you go. Thank That's you. That's my lovers off. Thank you very much. What's your theme for the week, Neil? A jungle this week. Lovely. Yeah, so we've got some rhinos, gorillas, orangutans and bears. Those are our groups. I think that's another element. You need to have a theme. Yeah, you need <laughs> that, to have a theme. Right? That transports you to somewhere somewhere else. Which... Yeah, that's right. And every four years, it's normally the Olympics. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Brilliant. Speaking of being transported, uh, we've been transported in the story of Joseph. So when we left him last, he was in the pit, having been put there by his brothers. And of course, when the Midianite... Uh, traders came by he is sold into slavery and he finds himself in the land of Egypt in Potiphar's house how did we get on reading chapters 39 and 40 of Genesis so this is the start of hearing this this repeated phrase the Lord was with Joseph that we get in verse 2 of chapter 39 and it's a curious thing that the Lord is with Joseph and and there's two parallel things happening. Some very successful things happen to him, but then he gets hit with some absolute disasters. Um, he's already had the first disaster, which is he's been sold into Egypt. Um, he's going to have the second disaster in a moment with Potiphar's wife, and he's going to end up in prison. And the third disaster that he's going to have is that he's going to be forgotten about in prison by the two prisoners. And yet... Both those things seem to be things, the disasters and the triumphs, both can have the phrase God was with Joseph applied to them because there is this unstoppable journey of Joseph being brought into the presence of Pharaoh and then Joseph's family being brought into Egypt. So God chooses all sorts of apparently um, diverse and ways which seem to be absolute disasters, and it's one step forward, two steps back. But actually, it's always actually three steps forward. There's there is a there is a some kind of pattern going on here. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, are you saying these things that happen? So, take for example the cupbearer and the baker. God mm -hmm. is is using all of that for a purpose. Yeah, I mean it's a hard one because it's that, a bit unfortunate, isn't it? If you you know if you end up impaled. Gives you a difficult picture of God mm -hmm. who's prepared to sacrifice the baker, who's prepared to let Joseph dwell and languish in prison. I'm, I don't know. I think I actually quite like the way that you, you, you phrased it there, that God uses all these things. Mm -hmm. But God also seems to provoke them as well. I mean, certainly the dreams are provoked by God. I just think we have to be kind of careful with that because, because I, I mean, I know of individuals in my life who would, they would quite often, when, when they've been through difficult times they would quite often present a narrative of oh god must be mm. teaching me something through this god must have caused this to happen so that and mm -hmm. I, I i just i rail against that because it yeah i'm not sure that that's how simple it's not as simplistic as all of that is it the simple it makes you feel that god's kind of just moving us around yeah. like puppets yeah. and whereas really my reading of it more is that life is rubbish we could use stronger words if we were on a <laughs> podcast Life at times is rubbish, it's really painful, it's difficult, horrible things happen. However, through that, people still connect with God. They still know God's love. They still know him with them. And God is there in it. It, it, it does that make it different enough? Is it also part of the problem of reading the Bible that because it's written retrospectively, we feel as if the characters in it knew this so that joseph mm -hmm. knew everything yeah. was going to work out and his brothers were all going to be reconciled and he's going to say you meant this you meant this for evil but god meant it for good he didn't he just knew he was in this person's house and he was dealing with this he was having this friendship with this woman and you know at the time it didn't feel like that but did he because but but doesn't he know from early on from those dreams early on he knows that mm -hmm. there is some destiny that is is beyond what he's experiencing in it's, the it's not simple it, 
I mean, in some ways it lets God off a wee bit if we say that we kind of trash things and then God comes along like a parent and tidies up the room again. God does mm -hmm. provoke and provide some of the energy for some of this. Not all of it. There's a curious mix, actually, isn't there, of, of human decision, of, of human jealousy, uh, human unfaithfulness, but also um, God also does drive it with these dreams, and it does mm -hmm. feel that God wants to get Joseph into into Egypt and next to Pharaoh. I mean, I did think about Joseph quite differently when I was reading the bit when he was in Potiphar's house. Mm. Now, obviously, I'm a big advocate for this book, but part of the reason I was thinking <laughs> differently about him was that I was reading the the text of the Bible passage from chapter thirty nine, which is in the back of the book, and I was also flipping back and looking at the illust Jason's illustrations. Now, what came across is that Joseph is working really, really hard. I've always just thought, yeah, God made Joseph successful and he got on really well. But under that is this really hard work, which is just interesting at the start where we're talking about the hard work goes into making a book. Or you could talk about any hard work, the hard work that goes into making a set of accounts or the hard work that goes into building a house. His success came from hard work. He he, he actually, was he really driven? Had life, life had collapsed around him and he'd been taken he's a slave he's in a foreign country he doesn't know the language he doesn't know the people um does he does he work really hard because he he wants to achieve and he wants to do well that's part of the story as well yeah or to survive within within the context he yeah. finds himself there also seems to be though that he does have a kind of golden touch i think i think jason donovan is well cast as joseph he has this kind of golden <laughs> midas touch to him but but actually Actually, I'm, I'm going to riff on the Jason Donovan thing. You know, J Jason Donovan begins his life as this gold, literally the golden boy, you know, fetid on a Australian TV. Yeah. Um, and yet Jason has to confront, I call him Jason normally when I'm with him. Um, he, he, has to, <laughs> he has to confront all sorts of difficult things. He has a tough life. And meanwhile, he has to watch Kylie be, become stellar opposite him. Anyway, where am I going with this? I'm going with the idea that he is blessed. There is something about Joseph that he has something about him that causes, you know, people in Potiphar's house very quickly to recognize his abilities, the jailer to recognize his abilities, Pharaoh to recognize his abilities. He has, there's a bit of magic dust about him. And does he have an attitude like that, though, because of where he was in the family? Yeah, yeah. And how he was treated in the family. Mm. But the thing you mentioned in the last podcast about the long sleeves, I mean, I, I presume the long sleeves makes you unable, unable to work. Yeah. You know, you're not really going to go Oof. and help with the sheep if you've got long sleeves. Yeah. Have you not? I thought, I, thought, mm -hmm. I thought that was the whole long sleeves interpretation, yeah. that it it set him above them. He's, he's not going to be getting his hands dirty yeah. uh -huh. with his long sleeves. Uh -huh. and, and that's an interesting contrast to what you just said, that he, he works incredibly hard here. So there's something that's happened in that pit. Or in the in the betrayal you of keep, all of that. You keep thinking he's an Enneagram three. <laughs> I do, you? I do. I mean, if anyone who well, I, I'm an Enneagram three, and and the, the characteristics would be about its success, wanting to succeed, and actually competitively wanting to succeed in every situation. I I, I think there is something of that, and and shape shifting according oh, yeah. to to where you are. But God was with Joseph, yeah. even in his competitive achievingness. Yes, that's right, and there, there's and there is a charisma to him, but how much is a charisma, and how much yeah. is a God-given charisma? There's a definite human-divine interplay going on, isn't there? It's not in the presentation of the story; it's mm -hmm. not all one or the other. I mean, I was really struck reading through earlier in advance just the number of times the word mm. blessing comes up and the number of times the mm. word favor comes up. There is mm. undoubtedly something that the writer, the mm. teller. Moses, we think it's Moses, do we, potentially? There is something in the repetition of that story that God's favour, God's yeah. favour, God's favour, God's blessing, God's blessing, isn't there? And that blessing, go I, no I had noticed that for the first time, that when he's in Potiphar's house, the, the blessing is for the household. Mm -hmm. The whole household is blessed. Mm -hmm. It's another reason for Potiphar's wife wanting to spend time with him and be with him. And yes, yeah. Well, and even you talk about the working hard thing. I was thinking about, you know, LICC and, and uh, faith mm. on the front line and, and, you know, a lot of people, all the work that's been done on, on mm -hmm. workplace um, yeah. ministry. There is something, isn't there, that as an individual, if you are pursuing the calling mm. God has on you, you, you will bless the culture yeah. around you. You will, you will shift the culture. You know, Mark Green's written a lot about that, hasn't he, about how you can change the culture of your industry. And the importance um, of that work that we do. And, and often, I mean, uh -huh. the story behind... Um, sort of pray for schools movement and um, 
church is having a day a year when they, they pray for schools and they pray for teachers and they pray for children in schools. It, I'm sure it came from a teacher who said, um, I'm always being prayed for for this ministry, the children's ministry I do in my church, but nobody's ever offered to pray for me in, in the teaching I do five days a week mm. in a school. And, and you yeah. can put that into any yeah. profession that God call God's calling is on our lives wherever we are, just like you've said about LICC. It's not in what we perceive as spiritual work because all there is no secret mm-hmm. secular mm-hmm. divide. And it's been interesting, mm-hmm. my my son Andrew, who has been in the podcast, of course, who's still in Bolivia. I think he would say that the story of Joseph is the Bible story that has helped him the most in the situation he's found himself in Bolivia. And going out there to do a particular kind of work and then basically being locked down and being able to do different kind of work and some kind of work, but very frustrating at time and very hard. Now, he's, he would self-say, I'm mm-hmm. not in prison. Let's get this in perspective. It's not like Joseph being in prison. But that, that sense of not really being or doing what you thought you were going to be or do, but God was with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about Potiphar, mm-hmm. Potiphar's wife, the household? Uh, mm-hmm. Neil, I want to ask you something, because you last time talked about, you wondered if Joseph had seen Potiphar's wife as a maternal figure. Did I? Do you remember saying that? Did I say that? <laughs> yeah, you said that really? last time. <laughs> and I was quite intrigued, and I didn't pick you up on it at the time because there wasn't time. Yeah. <laughs> but did did you say that? I think I, I mean, maybe that, that maybe is I misheard fascinating you. if that's what... Well, I think you were talking, You it was in the context of talking about Joseph's um, the, the the jockeying within the family in the sense of not knowing who he was and you said something or maybe you didn't say it as directly as that but you said something that implied to me that you felt he had maybe found in her because his own mother had died young hadn't something it? of what had been yeah. missing in his early life yeah now, what's interesting is this is the first meaningful relationship that joseph has in the whole of the book isn't it yeah in the whole of the story when potentially mm-hmm. there's a meaningful relationship with benjamin but we only find out about that later on his mother has mm-hmm. died young and it was a line that you drew my attention to, um, that they spoke to each other each day. Day, day after day. There a mm-hmm. genuine relationship between yeah. Joseph and mm-hmm. Potiphar's wife. Because it's often presented in, in very stark mm. terms, isn't it? That, that she's the baddie, she's mm. the one who's trying to seduce him. And he, you know, does the right thing, runs away, leaves his cloak behind. And, and then, of course, it all kicks off. But it's not as straightforward, no, is it? No, no. I mean, I was struck when Adrian was talking about this last week in the art. He said, this is one of the most drawn... Yeah stories mm. in the whole of the Bible and we asked him which scene and he said it was the Potter's first wife scene and I can only mm-hmm. imagine that this was about the virtuous male Joseph being tempted by the the temptress Potiphar's wife I'm guessing it could be the twist though of the cloak yeah because I mean as somebody who writes a lot of drama that's a lovely twist <gasps> the cloak's left behind oh. <laughs> <laughs> makes a lovely I, I scene about- oh. Potiphar's wife a lot as, as we produced this book and I can't remember ever having a conversation or hearing people speak about this story from the Bible from Potiphar's wife's perspective mm. never and that is shocking and appalling I mean the message that's been brought has been it's, it's the moral message that I've always heard that Joseph said no that, no that's that's a great message but it's not as it's far more nuanced than that and it's far more complex and and what was Potiphar's wife what was her life like? I, I was struck by, mm-hmm. you know, it said that Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything because Joseph was taking care of everything in the house. Had he stopped worrying about his wife? Had he had he did not mm-hmm. give her mm-hmm. any attention? How many wives did he have? But, but that's another point. Um, mm-hmm. Is she lonely, isolated? And again, that Joseph finds a relationship in Potiphar's wife. She also finds a relationship in him and it goes badly wrong and she ends up having to lie and accuse joseph but then is love i don't want to be a bit of a cliche but love and hate can be quite close can't they mm. that, that 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 tips it mm. over that she she loved him but suddenly she hates him because everything that she yeah. has is about to fall apart mm-hmm. well, she wants mm-hmm. rid of this probably yeah. this complexity that's in her life she's mm. torn there's this man here pulling her and 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 i suppose if she accuses him she gets rid of him do you want a funny story but there is something, sorry, before your funny story, if you're at, there is something on that, and it came out really well in the previous two podcasts when I wasn't here, which is good. Um, the, the whole, the women in this bit of Genesis, you no know, before and during, you know, so we've got Dinah and you've uh-huh. got um, Tamar, and you've also got Potiphar's wife. And the story, the Bible is a patriarchal book. It's not going to be told from their perspective. Mm. And I, it was interesting what you said, Neil, in the last podcast about all great stories will be taken and 
um, pictures will be painted and musicals will mm. be made. But I think there's also a place for us to do that reimagining and to the wondering mm -hmm. of, of what was that woman's story. Now, interestingly, yeah. I've just read uh, The Red Tent, which is a, mm. a fictional book about Dinah. And in that book, Dinah and Joseph are really good friends. She's a, she, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they were the same age because she was the youngest child, the daughter of Leah and then ben, Joseph's young from Rachel. And they had a friendship which is broken when everything falls apart for Dinah. Um, yeah. Now, she also in the book, she ends up in Egypt. But, 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 that, but the whole book is a reimagining of this story. Uh, and, I, and I have had conversations with people who said, you just can't do that. You can't reimagine the Bible in that way because it takes you away from the biblical text. But I, I find it incredibly helpful as long as I keep going back to the biblical text. Yes. And thinking, well, what was going on? Is that something I need to be thinking about as I read this? Is that does that help me know God better? Does it, does it change me as a person because I've I've imagined that? It's interesting how we how people do rail so so strongly against you know a, a fictional story version, but mm. we wouldn't rail necessarily against a commentary yes. mm. that is yeah considered an academic and you know research and all the rest of it. But it's it's still extra biblical, yep. isn't it? It's somebody thinking it through, isn't it? But, and that's really mm. interesting. You've named the two Jewish ways. Well, sorry, if someone's listening who's Jewish and has a deeper understanding, but my understanding is that there, there are two Jewish ways of engaging with, with text. One, one is commentary like this, and the, the Talmud is basically a commentary on the, on the Mishnah. Um, and t commentary itself is, is, is then becomes canonized. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess we, we do that to an extent. But the other the other sets of Jewish texts are the Midrashim, the Midrashes. And they, they're doing exactly this. They're, they're, they're Darash means to draw out. They're drawing out from the gaps in the story and they add all sorts of, of different different bits. I mean, I studied the story of Elijah and there's, um, there's a whole bunch of uh, Jewish Midrash around what happens when uh, Elijah is... Um, you know, on, on top of Mount Carmel, where he's wrestling with the prophets of Baal, and there's all sorts of stories about Hiram of Tyre getting involved in all this. People just add mm. lots of stuff in. There's whole books of this. It's called Midrash. Oh, sorry, I thought you were going to say something else. Well, I suppose the point is, it's not some kind of modern invention. Yes. It's something that Jewish people yes. have been doing for years. And I would argue that there are bits of the Bible which are midrashes of other bits uh -huh. of the Bible. So, for example, I think the story of Jesus sleeping um, in the stern of a boat, I still I mean, I believe it's a factually true story, but also I think there's an element of midrash of the mm -hmm. Jonah story going mm -hmm. on there. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that maybe we think in a particularly Greek way, so yeah. we we take seriously the commentary and we don't take as seriously the the story, yeah. perhaps. Story yeah, then. yeah, because the commentary is serious and yeah. meaningful and yeah. cerebral, and the the story is just story, and that's pretty. That. Yeah. I feel my funny story is not going to be that funny, really. But it was it was really just around <laughs> <laughs> it was really just around the the um, Joseph running away uh, part of the story. I once years ago was running a creative arts camp uh, for SU in the Lake District and. Um, Took decided that I would take the camp to the theatre. Brilliant! We'll do a day trip, and as part of the day trip, we'll go to the theatre, the theatre by the lake in Keswick, and we'll see an Alan Akebourne. And I thought well, we're pretty safe ground with Alan Akebourne because it's you know it's funny, it's it's going to be light hearted, it's going to be good, and it, you know let we can then discuss it afterwards. We can we can chat about acting techniques and all the rest of it. Um, so we turn up to this thing, and we had been teaching on the book of Joseph on the on the book the story of Joseph from from Genesis during the, the course of the week, and we sit the first act of this thing and it's very clever Akeborn's always really clever it's farce and there's lots of kind of ins and outs and it's all in a set in a house at Christmas time and various family members and the scene just before the interval is basically the husband of the house the, the you know the owner of the house and a woman who's appeared in the the, the um has ended up there for Christmas they meet under the Christmas tree in the middle of the night uh, pitch black, stumble into each other and and kiss. And I'm thinking, oh, for goodness sake, I'm sitting mentally writing my letter of resignation to Scripture Union, thinking I've brought a whole lot of people's 12-year-olds to something that I didn't really think through the, the content of it. Anyway, it's all fine. We stop, we have the interval, we're eating our ice creams, and I turn around to this wee boy, who's about 12 or 13, can't remember his name, and I said, how, you know, how are you getting on? Are you, are you enjoying the thing? And inside I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is a nightmare. I hope, I hope it's been okay. I hope I've not scarred these children for lives. It was quite a long time ago. Um, and he turned to me and he said, 
oh yeah, I'm really enjoying it. But I was just thinking about that bit at the end there. That man, he should have been like Joseph. He should have just turned and run away out the room. <laughs> and there was just this blissful moment of, oh, it's okay. He, he got it. <laughs> He's yes. thinking on a deeper level. <laughs> Good. So we did do our discussion after, and thus and your thus career with Scripture Union was career saved. Career as a Christian youth worker was saved. <laughs> that might lead into yeah, Jane's gem today. Oh, yeah. okay. We'll come back to that. That's about how we need to engage with difficult stories of the Bible with young people and children. Fantastic, and talk about real things. Surely not, Jane. Well, do you I not think, think we should just avoid do. them. And I don't say that we we do. Yeah. <laughs> Look at every everything produced every holiday. Oh yeah, it's interesting. There we go. <laughs> Good. So just on, on 39 and 40, uh, how do we feel about the cup bearer and the baker? Always feels a bit unfair for the baker, I think. It's terrible. Oh, it's harsh, isn't mm. it? This poor chap. Mm -hmm. um, this, uh, yeah, so the, I mean, so I feel so much for the baker because they both had the dreams. Yeah. He listens to the cup bearer and um, the cup bearer is going to be lifted up and he's thinking, oh, brilliant. And then he tells his story, fully expecting a similar sort of view are going to be promoted as well, and it's completely the opposite direction. He's going to get killed. A poor guy. Joseph in this chapter, he goes from at the start of chapter forty. I thought there is a wee bit of empathy from Joseph. You know, he's seen yeah. he's seen the the sadness. He sees that these prisoners he's looking after are mm. sad. That that's quite insightful. But then they ask him about his dreams and the way he the way it's recounted of him telling the bakers like, here's what your dream means. Uh, you're going to have your head stuck in a pole. It doesn't prepare him in any way at all. I know your dream's not so good, I'm afraid, you know, but I'm sorry about what I'm going to have to say. None of that. You're dead. It's, hard, it's awful. And the illustrations, Jason's illustrations are very clear on that, the wee, the wee bird. I think people people who are prophetic, though, I'm, I don't know if it's going to be controversial to say this, I think people who are prophetic can often be quite direct. <laughs> Because I think they're so so true, they're so tuned into what God is saying. It's a fascinating relationship with these prisoners that he's looking after. Honestly. And then meanwhile, meanwhile, the cupbearer forgets about him. Yeah. Can we think about prison? Mm -hmm. Because Joseph is the first biblical character to go to prison, and he will. Um, so I tried to write down biblical characters who went to prison. Have you got a quiz for us? And I've Neil? got Jeremiah. Pardon? I thought you maybe had a quiz for us in your holiday club mode. You're... Yeah, do you, right, do you want to get... Well, I, I don't want to claim... How many can you think oh, of? Like Paul. Jeremiah. Paul. Yeah, Paul was Jesus. in prison a lot. Briefly. John Jesus. the Baptist. Yes, not I mean, not long, for very long. John the Baptist. Yeah. John the Baptist was in prison, yeah. Um, Silas. Oh, yeah, with mm -hmm. Paul. Yeah. I've got Peter yes, as well, yes. quite a few times Peter in Acts. John, yeah. Uh, Jeremiah mm -hmm. and uh, John uh, has I heard him called in another podcast recently John the Revelator John the one who wrote uh, Revelation. Revelator it's quite technical yeah yeah I think it was quite American I quite like the sound of it um, but going to prison is is a formative biblical experience and I think a couple of things happen to Joseph at the same time I think he becomes a little bit brutalised which is maybe shows in the harshness that he deals with the baker, but later on the harshness with which he will toy and play with his brothers. I think maybe some of that, I think, is maybe a bit of revenge for the prison experience. But he also becomes refined. He becomes more sensitive in some ways. And I was wondering about, could I, is there something going on here where prison is also a metaphor for the, the journey that we go on in life? And I was reading probably one of my very favourite books, Parker Palmer's book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation. Very, very short book, but so profound. And he makes the same link. He talks about the story of, well, he names uh, personally Annie Dillard, who I love as well, who mm -hmm. says that all of us must go on a journey which is both inward and downward toward the hardest realities of our lives if we don't do that journey of going in and down then then we will not be reconstructed in the way that mm -hmm. god probably intends us to be and i think if if there is a god who's prepared to let people go to prison it it can only be because there is some greater good that comes out of it and the greater mm -hmm. good is the redemption of, of joseph and his people which is both a physical redemption but is also a, a redemption of the soul and of who he is as a person but Vaclav Havel, who was the poet and 
Czech dissident who fought against communism spoke about the fact that political oppression under communism led to a psychological depression which fell on all the people who lived with it. And Havel spoke about many years of experience of being pinned under a boulder. And mm. for him, that was both the oppression of, of communism and also the experience of actually going to prison. And when he was thrown in jail, he wrote what became the text of an underground movement that fermented the Velvet Revolution of 1989. So there was mm -hmm. an incredible revolution in 1989 in the Czech Republic in which Havel was able to e extend a greater humanity. And that grew out of his prison experience where he had grown as an individual. And he described the, the text, his letter, which he wrote in, in prison, an open letter of protest to Gustav Husak, the head of the Czechoslovakian Communist Party. He called that an act of autotherapy. And he said that he could remain silent only at the risk of living a lie and destroying himself from within. So prison became such a profound experience for Havel. And later on in the book, Parker Palmer says that when we are stripped of our external realities and identities, we have to go on a journey down where we confront monsters and lies. And he names some of the lies. One mm. of them is the fear of death. The other is that our identity is to do with our function. Another one mm. is to do with the fact that the universe is hostile to us. And we, we confront those in the dungeon. And I think that's mm. what's going potentially going on with Joseph. And later on, we'll go on with Jeremiah and Jesus and Paul and uh, John of Patmos and all those other great biblical figures who go to prison. Yeah, and it the two years, when two full years had passed, two years is a long time to be in mm. prison. I mean, and we don't know, we don't know those details. That's all we're told when two full years had passed. We don't know what he was thinking about. We don't know what he prayed about. Yeah. We don't know what conversations he had with other people and the work that was going on. There are, there are hints of it later on where he has an understanding, where he has good moments with his brothers, where he says, this happened mm. to me. I don't want you to mm -hmm. be annoyed. Or later on when mm. he asks them to be tender with one another. It's it's not a complete picture, but there are hints of a of a yeah of a, a developing richer humanity that's happened to him in prison. Maybe even when he's upset when uh, Jacob blesses his sons the other way round. Mm. Maybe his reason for saying stop is it like let's not repeat this uh, mm -hmm. favoritism switching that's been going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all mm -hmm. the time. Yeah, mm. Fiona and I had an, heard an incredible story on on Sunday night of uh, a man who'd been in prison. And it was only when we were preparing for today we actually realised it was an Egyptian prison. His name's Hyab Johannes. And Hyab Johannes is Egyptian. And he had protested. He's given us permission to tell our, his story today. He had protested against people trafficking, I think, in Egypt. And because he protested, uh, this was around about 2016, 2017, he was thrown into prison. Not just any prison. He was thrown into the deepest, darkest dungeon six floors down of I think it might have been a hotel that he was in but it was a, it was way deep in a basement and um, Hab found himself there and when he was in this this dungeon in complete darkness and at, in, in terrible conditions he heard in the darkness somewhere the sound of another man singing and praying to God and he began to talk to this man his name was Alex and Alex had been so removed from human contact that he didn't even know what year it was. Um, he'd lost sight of the days. And Hyab, um, he asked, Alex asked Hyab, what year is it? And, and Hyab uh, said, it's, it's um, 2016. And he said, I've been here since 1999. So he'd been there for 17 years. And, and yet he was still praying. And, and Hyab and him began to talk for about a month. And then Hyab was connected and he, people knew him. And one day the, the jailer came and said, tomorrow you're going to be released. And I can't quite remember. Fiona, did, did Alex say to him, oh, please remember me when you get out or something like that? I think he did. I mean, yeah, I think he did. That's what he said on Sunday. Yeah. Um, it, Alex, the, the prisoner, he was actually Ethiopian. He'd been picked up and he was a soldier. I think he'd been picked up in a border skirmish and nobody knew he was there. So Hyab got out and he began to campaign for the release of Alex. So it's a bit unlike the the Joseph story because he actually did remember the person he'd mm. been in prison with. Well, I suppose he does remember later on. Um, and he began to campaign and he 
found a way to make contact with Alex's mother in, in Ethiopia. And he said, I'm, I'm trying to get the release of your son. And the mother said, well, that's impossible because my son's dead. Mm. And Yab said, no, he's not. Um, I met him in prison and I'm trying to get him out. And eventually he campaigned and he campaigned. And then Alex was eventually released because of mm. Yab, who'd gone to prison and had met him there. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And a nice wee coda today is that this day, in fact, possibly even at this very moment, uh, Hyab is celebrating becoming a British citizen. Mm-hmm. He's been granted asylum and he's able it's to amazing. stay here. Yeah, so it's fantastic. Brilliant. Brilliant. I, I'm, I'm a remember me is such an important question mm. statement, isn't it? And uh, in the illustrations in the Joseph book, uh, Jason's illustrated that by the cupbearer has these wee memories, but they just get fainter and fainter mm. and he just forgets. And looking at that image was a challenge to me in that who have I said to, I'll remember, and then I forget. Mm-hmm. But just there when you were talking, Neil, I was thinking about Jesus on the cross with the thief who mm. says to Jesus, remember yeah. me when mm. you get to paradise or when you get to your, your kingdom and Jesus remembers. Mm-hmm. Jesus wouldn't, oh, Jesus yeah. doesn't forget. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to draw this to a close. Um, lots of food for thought in there, and uh, next time we'll be we'll be picking up the story again. But uh, before we finish, Jen, it's a welcome return <laughs> to Jen's gems. Jennifer, give us a gem. But this gem comes from a couple of resources, partly from the production of Joseph and. When we were making the Joseph book, we had a big conversation about the chapter about Tamar. Because it's right there, as you talked about the previous podcast, right there in the middle. And it isn't in the illustration. Now, partly because Jason's illustration is a story of Joseph, so that's a kind of side thing. So it isn't part of the illustration, but it is there in the, the full text of Genesis. And it is in the front cover in the flap. One of the one of the there's a timeline illustrated timeline of what happens before Joseph's story and there's, there's a picture of the family and all the people connected and T- Tamar is there and I hope and pray that when people open this book with younger people and older people that they see Tamar and they have conversations about her but Tamar is just one example of difficult stories in the Bible and I've been reading a book uh, after I was at my intergenerational conference a number of weeks ago now um which is it's all about faith development and faith formation. And it's taken from various people's work on what helps faith formation. And one of the guys I was reading about, I'm, I'm going to get his name because I'm not very good at that, at giving people, Robert Keeley, he, he has a chapter on sharing difficult stories with children and young people from the Bible. And he talks about a bit of research that was done between a group of students from an American university and a Chinese university. And the group of students were given two um, tasks to work out, like a problem-solving exercise. And one of the problem-solving exercises was about getting into a cave and getting back out. And the other problem-solving exercise about was about weighing something that is too big to weigh. And the first uh, challenge on the getting in, in and out of the cave, 72% of the American students worked out uh, well how, how to solve the problem but only like 17% of the Chinese students but on the second challenge it was it was switched around and 70 plus percent of the Chinese students could solve it and a small smaller percent of the American students now the thing was that both of these challenges connected to cultural stories that they had been told as children so for the American students it was Hansel and Gretel and the Chinese students it was a story about weighing the elephant and so these difficult stories that weren't soppy stories prepared them in later life to solve a problem. Now, it was a fictional problem. It wasn't a real-life problem. But this this writer um, takes this research and says that's similar to making sure that we share the whole story of the Bible, all the stories of the Bible, and even the stories that we often share, like Noah, for example, Let's not miss out that Noah was drunk and made a mistake. Now, we do have to be age appropriate. And um, this guy is very good in that. You need to make sure it's the right time for that child in that place. But Noah wasn't a perfect person and he, he made mistakes. And so in all the stories of the Bible, we also need to be careful we don't hold up the people as, as the people that we want children to follow. So here's David. 
he fought Goliath, be like David. That That's not going to work. That's not what the Bible's about. It's not about being like the people in the Bible because they're just like us and they, and we can learn from them, but we shouldn't be like them. We should always be asking the question, I suppose, really, as we do in this podcast, what's God like in this story? What is God doing in this story? What's going on that we can get to know God better because of this story? Now, that is not an, an easy gem. I, I struggle with it all the time. Um, but again, back to the wee group I've been meeting with fortnightly who are early teenagers. I think for one of the first time in my life, I've we've managed to have conversations about really difficult bits of the Bible. And sometimes at the end of our 40 minutes together, we've said, all of us, we don't, we really struggle with this. This is really hard. It makes us uncomfortable, but we're going to keep on working through this and trying to get to understand what this means for the God that we follow. So it's just an encouragement really to not dodge the dodge the difficult stories and to spend some time wondering about them with children and young people in an appropriate way, of course. Thank you very much. And Jen, what's the name of that book? That's it, well, the, the whole book is called Bridging Theory and Practice in Children's Spirituality. Um, the editors are Larson and Keeley, and then there's various people's papers about and it, it covers lots of very interesting topics as well, which maybe I'll cover Great. on another Jen's Gems. Great. Hmm. And we'll pop a link to that into the show notes yeah. um, so that if anyone's interested in following that up, they can do that. Also to Parker Palmer's book. Um, thank you both very much once again. Uh, is there a takeaway, a highlight, a final thought? Neil? Um, I, I'm i actually thinking about this story. I'm thinking about Jen's reading of the Potiphar wife, Potiphar's wife. Um, it's, just a, it's just a fascinating story. You know, I, I kind of guess when I came today, I was thinking, well, these are kind of transitional chapters and you've got the background stuff and, and then later on we'll have the story in Egypt and then the commentary I'm reading is actually most interested in the relationships that happen with Joseph and his brothers and his father at the end of the book. And I thought, oh, these are these are just kind of slightly mechanistic, was not the word, it, 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 they're, they're kind of stories that, that set us up to get us to Pharaoh, but actually there's so much in these transitions. It's just really, really rich. So that's my takeaway. There's a lot in transition. Great. Thank you. Jen. Remembering. Mm. What what does that mean for me? What does God want? Who does God want me to remember? Who have I forgotten? Yeah. I need to spend time with God each day, making sure he brings back to my mind the people I might have forgotten that I need to remember. Mm, mm, that's good. Mine mine would be similar. Mm. I was really struck by that story you told, Neil, that we heard yeah. on Sunday night. Mm. And yeah, just thinking about that man, Alex, for 17 years, mm. how many people are, are currently languishing yeah. in prisons? Um, so yes, remembering, Jen, as you said, about you know things that you're, you, you've said you'll remember, yeah. but also remembering those that we don't even know. Um, and bringing them to God, I think, would be would be my takeaway. Well, thank you both very much, as ever. And thank you to Amy, who is editing. She's doing a great job of that. Next time, we're going to be talking about Genesis 41 to 45. So that's Joseph moving um, out of prison into Pharaoh's household. And when he's thinking more about being given great power and then re-encountering the brothers. So through to chapter 45 of Genesis uh, in our fourth of our five episodes on Joseph and the Triumph of Grace. But in the meantime, thank you both very much. Thanks, Fiona. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you then. Bye.